The views expressed in our episode are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Well, hello, everybody. I am Tony Godwin. Welcome back to the podcast. We are on the last day of the Crimes Against Children Conference, and what a really great week it's been. Like all the people we have encountered, all the interviews we got to do, it's been fantastic. And I am Brandon Poor. Welcome back to Catfish Cops. Day four, we are enjoying talking to a variety of people, people who are experts in the field um, in their specific arenas. Um, it's been really nice just to talk with people who are teaching a lot because normally, you know, they present, you may get to say hi and quickly, like, you know, thank you for what you're, what you're teaching, but there's not a lot of time to sit and talk with someone. Um, and so this has given us the opportunity. We've talked with Graham, um, we've, t- Dr. Hill, we've talked with, yep. uh, with uh, Larry Bronstein. We've talked with, uh, quite a few number of speakers that are, are just phenomenal and and they really are truly experts so uh i say that because we're sitting with another one of those experts in the field and thankful for it (laughs) we're going to introduce you to um a remarkable person that you're going to see why because he's he knows his stuff um dr jim tanner welcome thank you enjoyed being here we appreciate you uh carving out some time on this last day when everybody's ready to yeah most people have left already i know larry's going on a bike ride in austin so yeah with graham (laughs) with graham yeah yeah. uh you're not joining him on that trek no no i'm heading home to see uh, my wife and the dog good for you you. good Good for you you. well larry uh sorry larry jim um tell us about your background tell us you know kind of what your what what is your sort of history that brings you into the table well, basically, I started off as a probation officer in the state of Kansas in 1970 mm. and uh, got my first sex offender to supervise in 1970. Wow. And I've been involved with sex offenders in the justice system in one capacity or another for the last 52 years. Um, I've run secure facilities, residential facilities, worked with treatment facilities, done probation, done parole, done pretty much, you name it, I've done it. Um, I've always been interested in sex offenders because they... I got, I got the first sex offender dumped on me because nobody else wanted it. Nobody right. else wanted to supervise him. So, and I discovered I kind of have a knack with it. Uh, about uh, 1998, I branched off into computer forensics oh. because I realized that probation and parole really had no way of monitoring computers. So I went out and got certified in FTK and NCASE and right. you know <laughs> X-Ways and oh, all no, the tools. You, got, that we, you talked Tony's. You said FTK, and he's he. I'm, st- I'm the standalone guy running FTK. He's still. the only one I running love it. it still. Yeah, <laughs> I love my, it. my tool of choice for boxes is X-Ways, yeah. you know, because it's the best at carving. But, yeah. but the bottom line was that then in about 2000, uh, 2002, I realized that probation really didn't have a tool that they could use. And so I worked with uh, 
in Lexi and the National Law Enforcement and Corrections Technology Center and a guy out of Georgia uh, named Jim Persinger. Mm-hmm. And we developed a tool called Field Search. Oh, and wow, we, that throws me back a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I we, use yeah, that tool. Yeah. We, uh, we let Field Search out in 2003. And uh, we had, the last time we knew, we had over 30,000 users worldwide in Field Search. Uh, that was board. one of my very first classes I ever uh went to at NECMEC actually is where I yeah. got that training and Mac, you may have given it. I well, no yeah, idea. actually, it was it was me doing it. You yeah, know? for for about ten years, I traveled ten states a year, and in wow. uh, uh, well, in Lexi, not Neckmeck, and Lexi would would pay, and they'd bring in all the POs, and I'd train all the POs on how to use it. And, hmm. You know, field search is kind of waning because now we're seeing, as you well know, or your audience knows, about eighty two percent of everything mm-hmm. we see is phones now. Yeah, and field yeah. search doesn't do phones. Um, so, uh, but I'm still sworn staff. Yeah. I'm still a probation officer in Colorado. I'm the cyber crime analyst for the 20th Judicial District in Colorado. So I wow. I still do what we do, yeah. as well as traveling, training, and teaching. Um, so that's kind of, in a nutshell, who, who I am, uh, what Fantastic. I've done. Fantastic. But you didn't even, because he's humble, he didn't even cover, like, you are an expert on sex offenders and grooming. I am. I, I, I'm one of the the individuals who has some of the early literature and and who has there's a paper on my website kbsolutions.com i give everything away i don't sell anything there's a paper on there called exploring sex offender grooming that has kind of become the standard for people testifying in court yeah and uh, i've been teaching it here at the conference for i don't know what 10, 12 years yeah. uh, no. to, to people that, who work in the field. We've referred to it ourselves many, many times. I know I've I have, and I know he has. We've educated people brilliant. with it, um, and it's really, and it's, you know, for, if you're thinking, well, I'm not going to read a paper on grooming, because that's got to be, it's a really easy to understand, um, yeah. but we talk on, on here a lot about grooming. Because, and I know uh, our uh, people listening are like, oh, he's talking about grooming again. It's the 8,000th time. <laughs> but we see it in it's the every case. It's, every grooming case. happens in every case, especially hands-on. It's a, but it's different, right? On online, we see it differently, but it's there. It's there. It's it, it's it's different in the fact that you know, part of the grooming process. You know, early on in the in the late nineties and early two thousands, we talked about grooming, and it only meant grooming the victim. Yeah. And right. uh, Steve and I, when we first released our paper, sort of begin the conversation in the early 2000s around, well, there's environmental grooming too. Yeah. Right. You know, they groom that environment to, to gain access, to have a lure, and to gain an alibi. But basically online, you don't have the environment. Mm-hmm. So the grooming right. can't groom the environment. Right. And it, it has to be a lot faster online. You know, yes. those of you out there who've ever worked a sting operation know that, you know, very ASL, ASL, and then, you know, boom, they introduce sex because it's that shotgun effect. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're not willing to talk sex, they dump you. And we talk about that a lot where, where we get groomed at three times the speed. Oh, yeah. As yeah. a normal thing because the, and I think the anonymity of the, the internet makes them feel like they're comfortable and I mean, like you said, they're trying to determine, are you a victim or yeah. are you resilient? Right. You yeah, know, just, yeah, I know it doesn't look like it, but we are the sexiest 12-year-old girls online. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so yeah. we've had our yeah. fair share of uh, <laughs> yeah. advances. And so you know very quickly if that is going to continue or that's not going to continue. And it's a good thing when you it's a good thing when you're doing stings they can't actually see what you look like. Exactly. So, you know. It's a just a disappointment <laughs> yeah. on their face once they show up and see us and they're like, Oh my god. But it really is it's the, it's that shotgun effect, you know, yeah. that I, I am not gonna waste my time as an offender trying to groom you if you're not willing to talk sex very quickly in the conversation. And right. that's why that it happens so fast because there's a 
there's millions of kids out there. Exactly. Can find one who's going to talk to them about it, and boom. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's like really the, the takeaway is there are a lot of kids online that are being talked to and that they focus on very quickly because of the ability and the availability. Um, but talk to us about what grooming behaviors would, I mean, a lot of our listeners have kids. What, right. what should they know grooming wise? We've probably talked about it, but I, I mean, you're going to hear it from the expert. Well, for, first of all, I mean, every parent's fear is that their kid's going to get groomed and, and be molested. And the first thing your audience has to hear is that if you're, if you have a good relationship with your child and right. you're meeting that child's emotional needs, the chances of them being groomed is almost zero. Yeah. Because the first thing the offender looks for is someone who's vulnerable. Yeah. And they want to step in and become that, that, that way of supporting the emotional needs of the child. So most yeah. of the time, your kid's not not going to be susceptible. But basically, it's 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 someone who's forming that special bond with the kid, someone who's spending a lot of time with the kid. And the key thing to look for is boundary violations. Yeah. You know, that, that the, 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 the difficulty with grooming, quote unquote, is that the very behavior we want to see yes. from people involved in yeah. children's lives looks like grooming. That's right? what I, we, I was going to say that too, because I wanted to make sure you clarified that when we tell, when we teach teachers, you know, and we mentioned grooming and we're like, don't worry, you know, all of the things we're talking about are things you want to see in a teacher or someone who is supervising children, but it's when it meets something else, right? Yeah. It's when it goes too far. And, and there's basically three things that help us determine who, who's someone who's, who's really trying to help kids and right. wants to give them extra time and attention versus the predator. And the three things are number one, boundary violations. Okay. You know, people who genuinely care about children would never violate a child's boundary. Yeah. So yeah. when you see boundary violations, then you got to take that step back and say, all right, all this other really sort of altruistic behavior I'm seeing, yeah. could that be grooming? Yeah. And, you know, Boundary violations like, you know, exposing your genitals, talking inappropriately about sex. They, those are the big ones, right? Like these are things that you will know are a <laughs> boundary violation. You will know yeah, a boundary yeah, violation. Yeah, yeah. There are lines yeah. in the sand for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You and, should not be asking a child about sexual things. Yeah, can I see your weenie? Yeah. yeah that's not, yeah. A, that's not <laughs> that's... an appropriate thing to ask a six-year-old kid, you know? Yeah. Um, the second thing is secrecy. Yeah. Uh, now I'm not talking about benign secrets. Right. You know, don't tell your 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 brother there's no Santa Claus. That's a benign secret. Right. But beyond benign secrets, there's absolutely no reason for an adult to share secrets with a kid. Yes. Right. So when you start seeing that, that that's part of the grooming process is keeping secrecy. So l let me give you an example. Let's say that there's a baseball coach, and uh, well, the third one. Let me get to it very quickly. The third one would be isolation. Yeah. All right. So you got a baseball coach who says, you know, your, your kid could be a star player with a little extra attention. Mm -hmm. Well, you want that to happen, right? Right. So it becomes, number one, is he grabbing the kid's crotch when he's teaching him how to pitch? That's a right. boundary violation. Right. <laughs> number two, secrecy. Who knows that, that he's giving your child extra attention? Right. Does the league know? Do other right. players know? Do other parents know? Do you know? Yeah. And then, and Are then, you allowed to sit there and watch it versus precisely. we're going to go do this and in, in, in private? Yeah. That's right. And, and the last is isolation. Where does that extra attention occur? Does it occur, you know, at a public field before or after a publicly visible practice? Or yeah. does it happen in the coach's backyard at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon? Yeah. And right. that kid's the only kid there. Right. So those are the three things that really help us sort out good people from people who may have untoward motives. And one of the, awesome. one of the questions, you know, it just comes up a lot with like <clears throat> the Larry Nasser case. And that was so widely known, but 
you know, the, I think people go, how did that happen? Cause there, there were parents in the room when stuff was happening, but like that was very clearly to me a situation where not only the kids were groomed, but the parents are groomed and there are, there is, there's no isolation, but it's isolation of in Absolutely. And, and the environment was groomed. Let me give you another example. And it happens to come from the same city. There was a case I testified as an expert in where a SRO, school mm-hmm. resource officer, was also a volunteer coach for the wrestling team. Yeah. Now, I was a collegiate wrestler. And one of the things you have to worry about is ringworm. You got skin yeah. on skin, moisture, ringworm's right. a problem for wrestling. So this, this SRO had convinced, he, he, he told the school that he was a a paramedic, an EMT, and he convinced not only the school parents and the assistant coach that he was looking for ringworm. So what he would do is he would bring these 11, 12-year-old kids into his office with an assistant coach present, mm. videotaping it with his notebook computer, allegedly to keep it from being a problem, you know, yeah. alleged. And he would examine these kids' genitals and blow on the genitals to get the penis erects. We could see into the foreskin oh to see if God. there was... 22 victims Wow! The, and with an assistant coach in there, but he had rationalized it to such a way that everyone thought it was what coaches did yeah. until finally number 22, 11 year old said, wait a minute. I don't like this. That ain't right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's wow. how he finally got popped. Yeah. So it's the same thing with Larry Nasser. You know, one of the, one of the, Access, allure, and alibi, the, the second reason people groom the environment is to produce allure. Think Sandusky. Yeah. You know, that if, yes. a, if an offender has done a good job of grooming the environment, they don't have to look for victims. The environment's going to push victims to them because right. the environment sees some benefit to that child being involved. And that's Nasser, Sandusky, yeah. and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. There's, wow. I mean... You see now when we talk about grooming, how surface level we talk about it, when you hear from someone who is is going to be able to explain the intricacies of it, but it's a complex issue, right? This is something that is, yeah. and I don't even think like when we talk to offenders, they're not thinking about grooming. They're not, you know. No, no they, 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 uh, I have a video clip of a, of a guy named Larry talking about a treatment group and he says, you know, whatever it takes to get in. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes to get in. And they don't, you know, uh, Daryl Turner, who uh, I think you guys know, has got some done some research on that. And about 48 percent of all sex offenders say they don't groom. But when you look at their behavior, it's grooming. Yeah. So they don't call it. They don't know. it's. They don't know the definition, I guess, of what it is. Yeah. the behavior is still yeah, there. It's intrinsically, they kind yeah. of figure it out. I mean, they're good manipulators. It's so too. funny because there are so many times where we see an offender who is, has like, they're different things. There are different people. There are different cases. There are different details and, and, and specifics in it. But there are a lot of the same patterns over and over again. Well, right? that's that's where the paper on my website came from, Exploring Grooming, was that a colleague and I, Steve Brake, sat down one day and said, you know, we, we seem to see the, the, the same same things over and over again. The faces change, but the same behavior. Yeah. So can we extract a pattern? You know, set aside how it's actually manifested. Is there a pattern? And there absolutely is a pattern. They form a bond. They develop reliance on that bond. They attenuate the resistance, and then they trap the kid. That's mm-hmm. the four four phases or four elements of grooming. Yeah. And it's over and over and over again. We we see that we see it. Yeah, the way they manifest it may vary slightly, right. but it's the same thing. But the same pattern, and that's amazing. Like because people that work this stuff all the time go, "Gosh, I've seen this a billion times." A billion times. But it's a completely separate set of circumstances, and 
it's so there's something to it psychologically where it it works. Oh, absolutely. And so it's a way in. And and there and there uh, as Larry said, there's a way in. You know, the the offender, Larry. Yeah. The the uh, and there's there's common lures too. For example, if if I'm going to try to recruit a male, then it's the four Ds: drinking, driving. Uh, drinking, driving, dirty pictures, and desires. I'm going to take them places, let them drive my car. I'm going to give them alcohol. I'm going to show them pornography, and I'm going to find out what that boy wants to be. Right. Then I'm going to become the, the the vehicle by which he becomes that. Yeah. I'm going to take him to if he wants to be a baseball player. I'm going to take him to ball games. I'm going to build a batting cage in my backyard. So that's how you you groom a male. The four D's for females. It's lists L I S T S. I'm going to tell them I love them. I'm going to show interest in everything they do. I'm going to support them no matter what. I'm going right. to be the person they come to, to first to tell me about their life. I'm going to buy them things, trinkets, take them places, and I'm going to find ways to increase their status with their peers. Those four, The four D's and lists over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. And now, the, and when you say that, being the, the kid on the other end of the phone, when we're talking, it's like, yep, I've seen that. I've Abs- been told that. Yeah, I have, yep. I've been groomed the exact same way multiple times absolutely Absolutely. in in essence we we do the same things in a sort of pattern as well as that grooming is happening because obviously our motivation is we don't want that person to meet a real kid we want to be able to one that reels that guy in to make sure he can't do that so it brings up a good point then and that I like the acronyms. I hadn't heard those before. So, yep, it's in my paper. Uh, yeah, I have <laughs> on I've my read, website. I've read yeah. the paper. I've got the paper in my folder so that I can reference it because we do want to educate. Absolutely, um, not just our listeners. We educate other uh, officers. You know, I've taught your grooming stuff a lot to our academy recruits because they're not going to go work cases with child abuse, but they are going to be the ones that take the reports. They're the right. ones that are going to see it. Know what to listen for? Yeah, and uh, and school resource. You know, those officers are seeing things that happen with kids every day, and if you're not aware, you can't do anything or notice things. So that's that's great information. I do want to talk about your. Your monitoring of sex offenders. We want to talk about, you know, the sex offender registry, but I don't think we've ever talked with anyone about some of the tools. You know, we, we mentioned before we started some of the tools that you use with sex offenders to measure risk. Yeah, the razor, the sonar, the static 99, the static 2000. So tips, there's, there's a lot of them out there. And I guarantee unless someone listening has, you know, done had work in this yeah. or had experience you've just listed a whole bunch of things that people have never heard before. Right. So let's talk about what those are. Well, basically uh, all of the tools uh, that, w- that we use, and it's, it's important to understand that all the tools we use have been actuarially validated. The problem is it's actuarially validated on people who are convicted. Right. So it automatically, we start to get a bias there. We, right. we, we don't know how well they work on people who, have not been discovered yet, but that's beside the point. That's not their purpose. Right. Um, Really the tools, and they're all based on quote unquote recidivism. What's a best predictor of recidivism? Right. But again, you have to be careful of how you define recidivism. Is it a new charge? Is it a new alleged offense? Is it a new conviction? Right. And and at both the charge level and the conviction level, you start getting into plea bargaining and how that begins to adjust the way. So, the, and that's the, that's assuming detection at all. A detection at all. Another right. time, you know, when we know Absol- kids don't outcry to things and you know, offenders go undetected. So the you know I'm not hammering the tools we have. They're the best we have. Right. But uh, they're 
the map is not the terrain. You know, that, that it's, it's a paper-pencil test to try to predict something that happens on the back end. And there's a lot of math and statistics behind it, which is, quite frankly, suspect. It's good science, but yeah. it's suspect because right. of all the reasons I just indicated. So we, it's the tools we have. One of the major problems of the tools we have is that people who are Internet offenders come out low risk. Yeah. Because all of those tools, they're paper-pencil tests. I want you to highlight that again. He said all of the tools we're using when it comes to an offender online and committing Internet-based crimes, they always come out low risk. And you hear that a lot, right? That they're low risk for recidivism or or re-offending and they're low risk for hands-on and things like that. Based on the tools we're using, because none of the tools address digital behavior. Right. And and that's, that's the reason for the paper on my website called 14 factors that there are 14 factors. I've, I've looked at more than 1700 convicted sex offenders computers. And out of that, in all my, of my interviews, I've determined there were 14 factors that if you find <clears throat> several of them on an offender's computer, you should not think he's low risk regardless of what the, right. the, the, the assessment says. Now, Mike Sito uh, agrees that some of the items in my 14 list are predictors of recidivism, but some of them, he says, are not and shouldn't be considered. Right. But he does go on, Sito does go on in his book and say, well, you know, but the other factors, he's not talking about my issue, my 14 specifically, he's saying that some of the other factors, which I include in the 14 factors, are relevant for supervision and containment. They may not predict recidivism, but they're relevant for supervision and containment. And that's all I'm, yeah. that's all I talk about. I'm a right. probation officer, right? right so right. what are we containing? So there, there are elements that, that uh, appear in, a, in an offender's computer. And there, it's the papers on my website on the resource page called 14 factors that if they appear in a case, be careful and, and, and up the T's and C's, the terms and conditions around computer use with that client, because regardless of the paper pencil test, right. They're, they're not low risk. They're, right. they're at higher risk of engage, continuing to engage in the digital behavior, which, of course, then fosters the non-digital behavior. Digital behavior is not necessarily a gateway to hands-on. Right. Can be. Right. Um, but it certainly does foster the pre-assault masturbatory fantasy, which could be a gateway. That's yeah. the issue. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because those fantasies lead to behavior and action. Yeah. Well, and you know, a, a common mistake that uh, people make is thinking that the physical assault is the payoff. It's not. Right. right. It's not. It's the pre-assault and post-assault masturbatory behavior that's the payoff because right. when the offender is with an actual victim, you know, the victim doesn't look like, feel like, smell like, taste like, move like their fantasy. Right. So it's a little off bubble. You know, and I think that people should be aware of that because you hear that when when experts talk about serial killers you know it's all of the lead up and the thought beforehand and then the after sometimes the actual event isn't meeting what they thought it would be and so they feel almost disappointed and so they have to build it back up after in a different way i think this is the same thing exactly the same thing and it explains why we see serial assaults you know that it's like a drug addict looking for the perfect high they never find it so they they keep looking for the actual incident that matches their fantasy the the way i like to express it when i'm teaching is that I, i am do not hear me minimizing the trauma Right. on the victim. I'm right. not minimizing that. I'm talking about from the offender's perspective. I see the actual assault as simply fodder for the masturbatory fantasy pre-post. Yeah. That's right. all it is. It's just fodder. Yeah, no, and that's not minimizing 
trauma the, no, the trauma no. for the victim is there regardless of what the yeah. offender does right. or says or thinks right but yes you're saying that the event is probably less important in the mind of the offender than the absolutely it's a lifestyle you don't wake up on tuesday morning and decide to be a sex offender right you have masturbated that fantasy for months if not years so it's just it's just one stimulus in the process along the way and you said that uh you know just because someone is uh, engaged digitally and in that format and what they're doing uh, may not often be a predictor of somebody who's going to be hands-on but that's right and we talk a lot with presentations that we do for families on safety and things. And, and we talk a lot about access and availability um, or opportunities to be that hands-on person. And you think uh, that that correlates somehow because of the, the fantasy in the head while they're behind the computer screen and the whole process that they're going through where they're, uh, I think maybe in their mind, they want to have access or put or live that fantasy out if possible, but they just, um, Maybe they don't have that availability to somebody, or yep, how yep. does that factor into it? Yep, Pro- proximity and accessibility; those those issues yeah. do come into it. And there are a, a number of offenders who will simply, you know, use CSAM mm-hmm. as a stimuli, and who never will ever molest a child. Right. Uh, there are some that it's a gateway to molesting the child, yeah. but regardless, what it does is it reifies that deviant mm-hmm. arousal state, and that if given the right circumstance, can lead to a hands-on offense. All of a sudden, the guy's alone yeah. in the swimming pool with a 13-year-old yeah. and his fantasy's right there in front of him. Right. Um, th- that can happen. Uh, but it, it's not necessarily a gateway. That's the issue. Mm. I bet, uh, yeah, maybe the, the line between those two is, uh, I don't know, from our listener's perspective, maybe a little blurred because I, I would think most people think, oh, gosh, if he's doing it here, it's eventually going to get to there. And, you know. and and the opposite too, right? Because we hear that sometimes people go, well, there there is no correlation. It's always you're either hands-on or you're digital. That's but not you, true. And right. that's not true. That's right? not right, true. Right. But I will tell you, again, I've looked at 1,700 sex offenders, convicted sex offenders, hands-on sex offenders' computers. And I can tell you that, that of those computers, do I find CSAM? Do I find child porn? I hate that term. Do I find it on the computers and uh, around 20 to 25% maximum? Wow. Most people who go hands-on wouldn't have a clue how to get to child porn. Right. And of the 20 to 25% of the hands-on offenders that I do find CSAM on there, uh, a good chunk of that, 60% or so, is their victim. Mm, they're yeah. photographing their uh, victim yeah. as a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, so right. there, there isn't the relationship. I mean, I'm not saying there's not crossover because there is, but Absolutely. it's not the, the relationship isn't as strong as people think it is. And it's right. not just clear cut, you know, because and I think it's the same thing as what you're saying on the studies and on understanding the grooming. Like they're people. We're a complex yep, organism that that is not going to fall into the same thing every time. We see patterns, yeah. we see behaviors. But one we're one not. of the questions I have, I guess, about the, we were talking about the tools, is it similar uh, with the tools that you have available, you know, during those conversations with all those offenders? Is it common or protocol for more than one tool to be used on one, the same sort of offender? Like, I think of it in the forensic context, like we may use X-Ways and FTK and N-Case, to see, you know, we're all getting the same data, so to speak. Um, right. I'm curious about the tools that are used for the 
baselines or whatever set when you make the. Oh, you're talking about the assessment tools? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they all tend to measure the same thing. There's, I mean, there's two categories you're looking at. You're looking at what's basically called static elements, right. and that would be criminal history in situations that, that are in the past and can't be changed. And interestingly enough, those are the best predictors, mm. which. Right automatically you begin to see a problem with a, with a tool, right? Yeah, right? Because if you're looking at the past and you got a first-time offender, there is no past. Right. Then the other side is... When we know a lot of ours are not caught right. for a well, long time. Right, well, I'm getting there, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so the, the the other side is what are, are, are active uh, predictors, and those are things that can change employment, residence, treatment. Uh, but yeah. the problem is all the tools, this is the same mistake we made in the 1950s when we tried to understand crime. We went out and looked at people in prison. Who we were talking to were the people who were bad enough at it, they got caught. Yeah. <laughs> well, same thing here, right? right. We got yeah. this distorted view, and, and we're doing the same thing here. I mean, how do you... How do you go out and talk to John Q. Public and say, what do you do to try to groom someone to be your sexual victim? <laughs> you can't do that research. Yeah. So what we're relying on is people who are bad enough at it they got caught so that already we've got a bias in the research. Yeah. yeah. But it's the, again, it's the best tools we have. Yeah. Now, but this, the SO tips, Mike Zito's SO tips, S O T I P S, is one of the tools that does take into consideration some elements of digital. And he's predicting basically uh, whether a person will is a high risk of recidivism, including digital behavior. And the SO tips is, is the best tool we've got for that. Mm. But we haven't had this thing around very long. You no. know, when you're looking at, I mean, when you're looking at sex offenders and hands on offending, you're looking at, you know, people that have been studying that for decades or hundreds of years or whatever. But digitally, I mean, we've had the Internet yeah. for a very sh- small time, period 30 years, of time, right, basically, small yeah. period of time. So the studies may be being done, but we don't have yeah. a great yeah. data set yet. No, we don't. You're right. And and it's a moving target. Yeah. I mean, originally it was the old bulletin board systems. Yeah, right. right. And then it, for a little while it was it was the bulletin boards and the and the use groups. That's where it all was. Right. Yeah. Then then along came LimeWire and and you know yeah. Monkey and all you know GigaTribe. And yeah. so we had then it was in peer to peer. Now it's all on tour. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's just it's this moving target. So yeah. those are the evolution's quick. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I was going to ask on that uh, assessment that you're making, um, and you're talking to hands on convicted hands on offenders. Is it uh, does the crossover to talk about digital um, from your perspective? Is that included with everybody, or is if you find someone who was hands on convicted, does it just stay in that arena without the digital, without the side? digital stuff? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it depends. You know, unfortunately, that that's a little complex question to answer. That that you've got some people. Uh, about 70% of all hands-on sexual assault is, occurs from a position of trust. Sure. And of that 70%, about 70% is intrafamilial. Right. So a lot of it has to do with proximity and availability. Right. And so if I've got an available proximal vic- potential victim, I don't need the Internet. Right. I may use the Internet uh, simply as a, a stimulus to yeah. kind of keep my interest up. So it, it that I don't have an answer to that question because yeah. it really depends on the relationship between the offender and the victim. Yeah, and and obviously you have the inside baseball view because you're the probation officer and know what he's there for and right. and the semantics behind all of that. And <laughs> well, that was an interesting thing right there. We this has been the most fun week of recording because 
people randomly walk in and do things to people <laughs> that are guests. So Larry said he stuck his finger in Graham's and nose. Graham's nose. And uh, I and just got a kiss. <laughs> Jim just got a kiss from a friend. So. <laughs> A bald-headed, bearded male friend. <laughs> That's the second uh, facial... Uh... Do you need a, this is an outcry, isn't it? <laughs> I think it is, yeah. I think it is. It's, it's an accidental we'll, disclosure. We'll bring a forensic is. interviewer in momentarily. That's fantastic. I'm and, shook. And, I don't even remember what I asked. Yeah, and, and remember, guys, you are both mandatory reporters. <laughs> so right. yeah. This is reporting right now. We're on the recording reporting. Uh, what... I mean, you've seen the internet change too. I mean, someone that started digital forensic stuff back in '98. I use in case version one, <laughs> beta, beta. Now version one, you know. And back then, when you went to the in case class, Sean was the one who taught it. Yeah. Wow! And you'd yeah. be sitting in class and say, you know, Sean, it'd be nice if. This would do this, and you come back that afternoon, and it did it. And it did. Yes, that's, I've that's I've worked incredible. with those tools too. That not that tool, but other tools where they those changes are being made as you're doing it, and it's fantastic. Uh, what what big changes have you seen in the way offenders are using digital media? Uh, they're getting much more sophisticated, and uh, they're they're moving into technology that's much more difficult for us to work with. Right. I mean, early on it was the use groups, like I said, then it moved to peer to peer, and then of course we got the software out of. Utah, Wyoming, that allows us to kind of yeah. AI find all the stuff in peer to peer, yeah. and now it's moving to Tor. Yeah. And as all of you out there in the audience know, Tor is a nightmare, yeah. an absolute yeah. nightmare. For so, those who don't know, that's referring to dark web offending, dark web, the onion router network, and yeah. the, the the dark webs is its own beast and entity. That it we, is, you know, in classes I teach, I I bring up the hidden wiki, uh, yeah. a screenshot of it, and I take them out and show them Mule's manual and show them yeah. all the pedo uh, websites. I don't show them the websites, I show them inside the hidden wiki yeah. how you get to all these pedo sites right. and it's i mean it, it's amazing to me that a lot of detectives don't know that even exists yeah. Yeah, no, even today hands down there are far more that don't know there are people who just think things that are happening on the open clear net are dark net and, yeah we get and there's a big misconception <laughs> like yeah oh we were on the dark net and saw this i'm like you, you were on the dark net? And I'm like, dude, you're just a participant there. Get off. And he's like, well, I, I got there. And I was like, well, how'd you get? No, you were not on the dark net. Well, and that's <laughs> what we do tell, like without, you know, you need right. resources to know, to to investigate that. And, and you we, better know what you're doing. And you know, yeah, because yeah, otherwise you're an offender. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. That's where all the bad guys hang out. Yeah. Yes, they will absolutely. pawn you so fast. Yes. You know, I, I, when I teach uh, even examiners, uh, I always ask the question, how many of you have a presence in, in Web 2.0, Second right. Life, whatever? None. Yeah. yeah. I've, got, I've got an avatar out there. She's, she's a, a female and she's, she's a slut. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, you know, I use it to, to find out because our guys are also out in, in, in these virtual reality yeah. worlds. Absolutely. Buying porn, having sexual encounters with their avatars. Yeah. So I've got to find a way to go out there and find them. Yeah. yeah. So. I become alluring, and they find me. You know? And yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they groom you. Well, they, oh boy, do they groom me? <laughs> That's right. Well, the, we the other part well. of this is you're now training. Well, you you've been training. You you are you are training with Graham and Larry, and and so tell us what your what your experience is with teaching others about these things. You're you're doing that now, but. Um, I guess I'm not. I don't understand the question. Is it's, it's very, a very rewarding, and it always stuns me the uh, the massive amount of ignorance out there 
Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. I mean, you always assume everyone knows what you know. Right. And uh, it's it's just, I mean, it, every time I teach a, a session on grooming, someone comes up to me after the class, inevitably, several people come up to me after the class and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You just right. explained what happened to me 20 years ago. And oh, that is a, that's devastating. Every, right? every time that happens. But what is more surprising is when I realize that these are active detectives working cases and they don't understand, they don't understand they can get access to information about grooming and how important the grooming process is when you get to court because you got to right. prove intent. Exactly. And here's, uh, here's all the information. And that, do they, how does, when they go to court to talk, how do they test, how do they get to speak about grooming? Um, because you know, it, we, we don't want it to be hearsay. Right. And, you know, okay. So what? Here's here's the way it works when when I'm involved in a case. Yeah. That the the district attorney, the prosecutor, gets into evidence the behavior. Mm. That's admissible. This yeah, is behavior. Right. Then I come in at the end of the prosecution as a blind expert. So I'm an educational witness. Yeah. So I'm not talking about this case. I'm talking about here's what we see how sex offenders behave, right. and then the jury connects the dots. Gotcha. So that's so what what the DA has to do is structure the questions and the detective has to answer the questions in such a way and and, and the forensic interviewer has to answer right. the question in such a way that the behavior gets into evidence. Then I come in behind and yeah. explain behavior Fantastic. in general. The jury connects the dots. But when a detective goes to your training and looks at your resources and can speak from their training and experience, they can become the person that gets to educate people about they can. grooming, correct? They can, absolutely. Uh, it depends, again, on the complexity of the case and the trial strategy of the DA. Yeah. Sometimes you want the, the witness of fact separate from the opiner right yeah you know so that the the jury hears facts it's cold and then in comes the opiner me yeah. and i offer opinion based on not this right. case but what i know in general, in general so yeah. it really depends on the structure of the, of the trial strategy the da yeah do you find big differences between state-filed uh, cases where you've gone and testified versus federal? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, when I when I when I, I think have, I knew the answer to that one, but I want to <laughs> I want to throw it out there anyway. Yeah, when I have uh, uh, USPOs in my in my classes, I say, "Oh, I'm sorry." You know that you yeah. know the the, the uh, federal courts, the judges live a lot closer to the Constitution than right. the state courts. Right. And there's always that First Amendment issue. There's always, you know, the privacy issues are much, much larger. Yeah. And the, the restrictions on terms and conditions are much different in federal court than they are in state court. Right. It, it, quite frankly, I believe the most powerful law enforcement officer on earth is a state probation officer. Hmm. We own them. Yeah. Wow. They sign their life away. Yeah. And so every, you know, I walk out to a probationer's house and I find a, fo a computer that's encrypted. I say, give me the password. If he doesn't give me the password, that's the violation. Yeah. I don't and, mess around with hacking it or cracking yeah. it. And yeah. I wanted, I was going to touch on that when, uh, as we spoke beforehand, because I, I was going to ask you specifically about uh, where you're from and that sort of rule, because I know our probation staff here in Texas they have that same ability. And I'm like, how fantastic that has to be. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we'll often get phone calls about, well, you know, did, you know, your first question as a cop is like, well, okay, well, how'd you get into that? You, what do you mean? How, I just told him to give me the password. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yeah. he did. And I'm like, that's genius. <laughs> give me, give me the password <laughs> or go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 
I mean, but, you, you know, uh, you're uh, supervising though. Yeah. Those, well, yeah. no, I'm not supervising the case. I, I'm the cybercrime analyst for our jurisdiction. Gotcha. Okay. So sorry. I'm I'm just the technical expert that comes in when the because all of our probation officers are trained in MDI, that's a mobile device investigator through yeah. ADF. That's what we use for phones, and they're all trained in field search. And so basically, if and but we also have a contract with an independent contractor who who installs monitoring software. Yeah. And okay. that's monitored. But when I get a case, is when we find a device that is not registered, so it's a, it's a secret device, a ghost device, then we seize it. They agree right. to that when they sign the probation conditions, no warrant needed, we just seize it. They give it to me, then I go in and look at it because we don't have the monitoring software on it. Yeah. And in very complex cases, like we, our probationer has a server farm in his house. Well, yeah. the average PO really can't deal with that, so yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. I get involved. Yeah, And that's when Tony and I, you know, collapse to the floor and go okay it's gonna be a long day it's gonna be a long day (laughs) thankfully i've only encountered that like twice in a very large amount of years and we've had a lot of talks about it yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's like oh my goodness i had i had a guy who was a a quadriplegic uh, and was placed on probation i bet i chatted with him yeah (laughs) he's talked to him three times i guess yeah I think I'm engaged in that guy. Well, uh, you know, I, I walk. I walked into his house, and I'm looking at like eight terabytes. Oh. You know, in, in, in distributed. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, well, call the family. It's going to be a week. Yeah, it's going to go be get a some while. burgers and fries. It's going to be a little while. We did talk about, and what I was asking earlier was more about like um, you guys are you're with the try the training the Trident training and and so you, that's sort of a one stop shop. We've talked with Larry and and, and Graham, Graham about it, um, but you know, talk about when you're when you're doing your section of it. What are you what are you training on and without giving away techniques or oh, no, that, no. but you're training law enforcement and it's a way for them to sort of learn the process from mind of the offender because you both you and, and, Graham and Graham both have a little bit of that background obviously yep. and so you're talking about the mind of the offender the interviews the the digital the the prosecution what 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 is your part of that well it, interesting in, in in that training all three of us talk about everything so that's the value we call it 360 because we get larry's ideas about uh, as an attorney we get graham as a criminologist and and an ex-law enforcement officer and then we get me as a social psychologist slash forensic examiner slash po and uh basically what we're trying to do is help the the attendees regardless of what their job is understand the broader aspect i mean right. we were talking about this before we came on air that that basically the more you know about how sex offenders work the better you're going to do your job whether you're an investigator a prosecutor right. or a supervisor so the more you understand how they think the easier easier it is for you to see in their behavior things that are important to the case right. let me give you a real quick example um i used to teach it at, uh, at uh, hdcia a lot high tech crime investigators association and and i i would Take a picture. I had, you know, how all of the software has galleries. You got sixty right. pictures on the screen. So I had sixty pictures or eighty pictures on the screen, and in there were a whole bunch of pictures. And I would ask the the audience who are examiners, okay, in that gallery, which pictures would you find significant to report? And none of them. Yeah. And then I would point to one, and then I explain that picture the way a sex offender uses the picture, and yeah. their jaws drop. Just yeah. like that. that then the picture I used, the offender used for more than 400 hours of masturbatory fantasy. Wow. But 
not, not one single examiner has ever picked that picture as being relevant. Yeah. But wow. it's, once I walk them through how the offender thinks about the picture, they all say, oh, that, that's relevant. Yeah, hell, I'll flag that next time. And part yeah. of our job is to not only recognize that, but also to talk to the offender and find out what is important to them in that. Because I see a lot of, quote, unquote, innocent pictures yeah, right. that yeah. are... That are They're significant not. to them. Absolutely. And, and again, it's, it's the halo. Yeah. We, we have to look at the halo around what, what they're looking at. And, and it's, uh, I had the advantage in, in many early on in my career with probation, I was doing field monitoring. So I'd be sitting in the bad guy's house on the bad guy's computer with the bad guy present as yeah. I'm examining. Now, he right. can't see the screen. But I had the advantage if I'd find something, and I'd say, here's what I'm looking at. You know, How many of this will I find? They'd answer. What about this picture interests you? Yeah. And they'd tell me because they thought I was a propeller head. You yeah. know, they didn't, yeah. I wasn't their supervising officer. I was just the propeller head who came in. Yeah. So they really were the ones who taught me. I didn't figure it out. They taught me. Know, which is fascinating. Brilliant, we, man. We honestly have more of that perspective yeah. than, than the other side because right. we're out there with the people who are, are just caught and that's one of our one of our i think more fascinating Bene- that's yeah, one of our fascinating benefits. and beneficial to yeah. us as the investigator because i mean for a multitude of factors who better you know, to tell us about it yeah than them, <laughs> than them. one yeah. one their oodle loops already in a twist uh because of the gravity of what's going on and the number of people traipsing through their their personal belongings and whatnot and but just um, how just how in depth into their life we're about to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, what's interesting because we see so much of it, you can say, Oh, well that's nasty Nelly. And they go, Oh yeah, man, I like it. Exactly. Oh, oh, there's Vicky. Oh yeah. I've got all of her collection. Right. You know? Right. So right. All of a sudden it's like you're a, a kindred spirit. And, and I think the other you know? benefit, the way things are done now as opposed to the way we did things when I first started in on the task force was uh, now we have more in-depth forensic process on scene right there triage to be able to say, okay, Hey, look, uh, Brandon target this or hit on this or, or right. whatever, or vice versa, you know, Hey, ask about this uh, because this is what I'm seeing. And, and that benefit is, I don't know. It huge. raises our, our level exponentially on success. It's we believe the interview is the most important thing we can do on scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. so that, even though the triage is important, it is really more for informing the interview than Absolutely. anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, like I was telling, um, Dr. Hill, I was like, man, it's, it's the most fantastic part for me in, in my career. That's what I enjoy the most. It's what I want to do the most. I want to be in the room, in the box with the guy who has had this issue for 15 or 20 years. And I, and you're the only person report. they've told. And, and, yeah. Right. You know, they we're not talking talk about, about it. Yeah. And they, they, talk they do. Yeah. And, yeah. and the relief that comes off of them where I want to learn in my current state is, okay, yes, I've gotten you to make some admission about this particular offense that I'm talking to you about. I want to know more of the dynamic going back in your life. I, right. I want to see the glimpse behind the mask. How'd of, you get here? What? Yeah. What flipped your switch to say, this is where I started. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Of it. I, and, and from a, from a, a, a legal perspective, is it, if, as long as you make sure and it's recorded that he's not in custody. Yeah. And so yeah. they, they're a lot more willing to talk 
and right. you, 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 you make sure it's on the tape or on the video. Right, right. You can leave anytime you want. You don't have to answer my questions. You're not reading them Miranda yeah. yet. And they just, they, oh, oh that comes. And yeah. that's, that's the connect I want to make of where I'm at in my career now is I want to bridge that gap between, yes, okay, I got a confession for this or whatever offense I'm investigating. I want that glimpse behind the mask because out of, I don't know, 2,500 cases or so over my career, I've only gotten that maybe three or four times, like really getting some in-depth background uh, to try to get an understanding of it. Um, so I don't know. But, but they're they, much more they honest want with to educate you. you. They're much more honest with you at your well, level, sure, at sure. where you're yeah, at absolutely. in the process. We're than on they the are. backside. Right. You know, that's, I, I talk about don't hold on to a case too long because once we get them in supervision with treatment on polygraph, we'll get the name of more victims. Yeah, right. You know, so you know, a completely different relationship. Yeah. If they, if they tell us things, it makes them look more cooperative. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah, right. with you, everything they tell you can wind up hammering them more. So. Yeah. Um, but still, that, they do want to tell. Yes. And especially if it if you are able to convey that you're interested in understanding what they're saying, they really do want to educate you. Yeah. yeah. I I noticed uh, in one particular guy that I had this. Um, with and as the I guess as he's thought well okay this is safe he he seemingly is understandable he's not judging me and doing this right but just to see the reaction of the guy's face like recounting stories from when he was 19 or 20 and the first time he had a sexual encounter with a two-year-old or something along those lines and and I'm seeing him relive that moment in his mind and 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 that's when like it clicks with me like damn like that's where I want to, to get go. to every time. Well, because we're going to use that information and what we're understanding from right. that person for the next interview. Absolutely. And it's going to start yes. snowball building on the next right, one right. because I'm going to use that to relate to the next offender we talk to Yeah, and get even more information. That's and what we talked that, about with right? Larry, the whole yeah. tools on the tool belt. It's just yep. another tool, and when it works, you're using it. And, um, well, and it's and, fascinating. And, uh, it, there's patterns. Yeah, and so the more right. you understand the patterns, the better you are at using those patterns to strategically extract information from the individual. Absolutely, we talked with Graham and Larry about um, one of the things that you bring up in in the training that that I attended was your views on the sex offender registry, huh. and <laughs> it's not a trap. It's not a. No, no, it's no, not no, a loaded I, question. I want to talk about that, but I mean, I think to our listeners, and what I said with Larry is, a lot of the listeners are probably thinking like, I've never evaluated the validity of the sex offender registry in my life because that's not something people do a lot. But you're in it, and you're you're working with it, and you understand it in a different way, and so. Sometimes bringing up with the people that may listen to us, they may think differently about it. They may say, these are the benefits, these are the pros and cons, but share with us kind of your thoughts on that as a whole. I I don't mind doing that a bit. I have been very verbal and very upfront from day one about the sex offender registries. I was adamantly opposed to public sex offender registries. I am and will continue to be adamantly opposed to them. I think sex offender registries are good for law enforcement access. Right. But it is, here's why I am adamantly opposed to sex offender registries being available to the public. It is a feel-good political issue that is dangerous. 
Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because A, it gives you a false sense of security. Right. So you go to the registry and you look up and Tommy Jones, who lives next to you, is on the registry. So you tell your kids, be careful of Tommy Jones and you watch Tommy Jones. What you don't know is that two doors down on the other side, Willie Smith is also yeah. a sex offender who hadn't been caught. Right. right. So that false sense that, you know, you know who to watch. And it's 300 to one, right? The uh, uncaught exactly versus right. the one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So the way I the way I think about sex offenders, I mean, the, it makes the public feel good. It's it's political crap. It makes the public feel good. Right. But it, it is it's dangerous because it gives you that false sense of security. Moreover, it, it the way I like to tell people to think about sex offenders is the same way you think about HIV. Assume everybody's positive. Yeah. And then work from that point yeah. right. because most sex offenders we don't even know about yet. Right. Yeah. The second reason I'm opposed to, to sex offender registries being to, available to the public is vigilanteism. Yeah. Right. 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 You know, and it, uh, we've had several instances in our jurisdiction of people's houses being burned and people being assaulted and attacked yeah. when it's not the sex offender. Right. The sex offender moved and didn't re-register. And even if it is. That's, Even if it is, it's so not right. You're yeah. Not, yeah, the yeah. Two, the commit two, a crime for your belief in what they've done. That's yeah. not your job. Well, yeah. Two, not your two role. points that uh, emphasize when we talked to Dr. Hill and he, he mentioned, um, which is a valid point, is uh, an offender's ability to assimilate back into society. Yeah, because if you And he put it in a context that really made sense to me. And I'll be honest, my my position prior to the today in this conference was always like, Hell yeah, we should have the the registry and we should do more of it. But in light of a few things that I've learned from you and from Larry and from Graham. Dr. Hill, uh, just through this conference, I'm like, well, those are absolutely very valid points. And, and that assimilation into society and then in the context of, okay, so this guy got popped for an aggravated robbery and went to prison and is on parole or and he's he assimilates back into society, and we don't have that guy who is a real danger to people um, on any sort of list that we can go and view. Um, and then the thing that uh, Larry mentioned just uh, recent was he said, "Okay, what if uh, you know he lives in the house and he's the offender and and he moves, but he doesn't tell anybody, and then the next guy moves in who yeah. who is you, right. and you don't know, and then all of a sudden something happens by the vigilante that torches your house or your car." And I'm thinking, holy smokes, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and realistically, what are you going to do? I right. mean, what, what, what good is that knowledge going to give you? Right. And, and the answer is none. It's again, I come back to, it's like <laughs> HIV. You have to assume yeah. everybody's possibly be positive, be vigilant, yeah. but knowing who is. Yeah. You it, can't let your guard down with this person because they're not on the registry. You should be equally as cautious with everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Now I do think that sex offender registry should be available to law enforcement. Right. Right? Of course. Yeah, but there, not there the are public, tools. but yes. not the public. Yeah. Hmm. And I, and we talked with Larry briefly. I didn't even plan to bring it up, but I thought about it because it's been a question on people's mind because it's happened recently, but these cyber vigilantes that are conducting their own operational things yep. Yep. and bringing in someone for meeting a kid and the only purpose is to shame them on social media or public media um and we think they're detrimental we think they're harmful to children it's against the law that should be yeah <laughs> if it's not. it often but, is against the law depending yeah. on what they do yeah but but my issue has been like you are keeping up a, a person who is is ready to offend against a child from receiving any sort of 
of restrictions and drives them underground. Yeah. yeah. And so they become, so I've often argued that we are creating a real risk of a, of harm to a real child before they get caught again Absolutely. because of the caution. And so do you see that thing happen? Do you, what is, I mean, there's gotta be some danger to that in everyone's mind. Correct. A- absolutely. Your, your, your point is well taken and it, it, it it's correct. You know, there, we have badges in our pocket for a reason, right? right. You know, it's because we, we are, we, 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 apply ethical standards, we're neutral, we enforce the law, and we, we don't act out of anger. We act out of the interest and the benefit of the state. We right. are trained. And we we're are trained. certified. That's right. We are held to a standard, and if yeah. we screw up, we are going to be held to that standard. And, that it, and, and so ultimately, yes. So it ought to be. You know, should, it, right. it, we have law enforcement, and we have laws so that we don't have to have a Vigilantes. mob rule. Yeah. Right. I don't want to go there. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I mean, yeah. So I know that, um, that we've stolen you for a significant period of time. If we're, if you're talking to one of our listeners, who's the parent of an eight to 13 or 14 year old, just for example, what do you want them to know about how to protect their kids? What is the, what are some key points that you would tell someone if you're trying to prevent child abuse? What are you telling that? If, if you're trying to prevent child abuse, put you on the spot. Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a very simple question, and that is simply be a good parent. You know, pay attention to yeah. your child, listen to your child, communicate with your child. You know, just be be involved in your child's life. Children who are getting their emotional needs met by parents are very resistant to being sexually abused because if something feels uncomfortable, they're going to say something to their parents, you know, and they don't, they don't need that, that emotional support from someone other than their family. They can't have that void filled by some predator. Precisely. I mean, that's what, as Graham says, that's what it's accessibility, vulnerability, you know, that, that you, you cannot groom a child who isn't vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, we preach that so intentionality easy. all the time. Just be intentional. Just be involved. Just pay attention. Don't look let for that those behavior changes. Be the, be yeah, the parent the baby or the babysitter, babysitter. Well, or you know, the educator. I, I, I don't know where we're on time, but, but no, no, you're good. A, a spinoff on this is 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 the big boo right now around ed, LBGTQ tra- uh, education in school systems and just uh, grooming the children. Bullshit. It's not grooming children. Right. Understand what grooming is. You know, the teacher's providing factual information. They're not trying to get the kid in bed. Right. And, you know, I want to have that conversation with my kid. I want someone objectively presenting that information. Yeah. not the way most kids learn about sex and that is out behind the barn by a guy who's two years older and doesn't know shit either right. and i've i've right. we've t- i've talked to this week about that with my own with my own kids people are saying oh don't let them watch this or don't let them go there and They're i'm gonna like, see it anyway why wouldn't i want to be the yeah. one that addresses it first Precisely. <laughs> before yeah. some before someone else out there educates them in a way that they think is right why wouldn't i the way i want my child to be educated tell them you know this is what you're going to see let's let's watch this show that everyone says don't watch not not inappropriate obviously right, but right. let's watch that and let's keep the remote handy to stop it and say Let's talk, let's talk about, about this. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Let's, let's. I thought it was called parenting, but. Yeah, precisely. That's called responsible parenting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, Brandon, mentioned something in one of our interviews this week to somebody. We were talking about this same topic, and, and uh, we often have parents come to us and say, well, well what do I do about my, my 15 year old and about this and this and this? And <laughs> yeah. our, our common response is like, 
well, you're about seven years too late into that. You know, we, <laughs> exactly. we cannot resolve, uh, you know, 15 years, 15 of, years of issues yeah. Yeah, in yeah. 10 minutes yeah. for you. You should have yeah. started this way back but here. But there's hope. I tell parents still, if you've got that kid at 15 that you didn't do your job right. You can still do it. Guess what? Start now. Start now. There is still hope. And, you know, the assumption, you know, well, look, let's, let's talk about uh, computers Mm-hmm. You know, computer security that we all have a saying in computer security, and that is security through obscurity is no security at all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. We know right. that, right? right. It's, it, it, is, it is, you know, levels of defense, right? We, yeah. That's what's security. Well, same thing with, with kids. If you think you can protect your kid by assuming they're never going to see it. Oh, wrong. Yeah, right. You're wrong. They're going to see it. So you better, I want to be involved in that conversation yes, what we're talking absolutely. about. But be just because you haven't talked to them about it doesn't mean they aren't talking about it with oh, someone. Yeah, so, you yeah, know, there's you not a 12-year-old kid walking the face of the earth that hasn't seen a picture of anal sex. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So you might as well start talking about it. Yeah. Let, yeah. let me ask you this as a question um, and offer your thoughts on it. If, if, um, if we had a kid or a teenager of a parent who's listening um what are some things you could tell them to let them know that they're empowered to come forward uh, or yeah. tell somebody, talk to somebody? What What are some practical things? Because we preach it all the time. And so having you as an expert here uh, only validates a lot of that and probably right. is said a lot, hell of a lot better than what we say. More, so, uh, more eloquently. What's yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, t- talking about anal sex, right? So the, uh, <laughs> well, we said we've got to call Larry's welcome, episode. Welcome to my world. We're right? going to call Larry's the, uh, episode the fucking episode <laughs> because Larry said it about 30 times. We, we're going to get a bell when we train. When Every time he says it, we get ding, ding. ding. <laughs> yeah. So the, the answer to your question is that you start that process when they're very young mm-hmm. and you and you you let your child know there is nothing we can't talk about yeah right. nothing and if you have established that from a very early age and you don't shy away from any question they have they will come forward yeah if you so, don't freak out about a question that might cause you to be uncomfortable yeah then they start to understand oh i can literally ask anything, anything. or so, tell them something yeah. so on the flip side of that coin what about that kid who doesn't have that upbringing, doesn't have that familial support that they're vulnerable. that. Obviously we know they're vulnerable. And if something happens, like we always try to make sure they understand, like there is some help for you. We can get you back on track. Well, you know, I, absolutely. There is help. And I, I, I started my career as a juvenile probation officer and I can't tell you the number of times in, in that capacity, I had to sit down with a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kid and honestly say, Look, your family's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> your family's crazy. So that's, that's not going to change, and you can't move out. So let's find a way that you can survive in that crazy yeah. environment. Can we teach right. you to and, handle and, crazy? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and how, how are we going to deal with the craziness? So you, yeah. you, you have to do that, that with any kid. Yeah. You have to show them there is hope, there is a way, and there right. always is a way. Yeah. And you just start the process. If awesome, something's man. happened, there is hope. You can come forward and talk about it with someone always, and tell that there always. are safe people. I, I, that was one of the things that we hated about the COVID stuff is that it's they isolated people. They weren't at school. They weren't yeah. with teachers that were safe that they could tell or counselors or, or someone that they could. And talk about being vulnerable, just all their whole life, everything, including what school they were doing is force fed to them online. They don't have a choice. And if you guys are interviewing people who work at child advocacy centers, you know what happened when COVID went away and kids start going back to school. They all crashed. Wham. Yeah. 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 Up the charts, up the charts. Like, man, what a, uh, 
as I told Larry and as I told uh, Graham, like, I could talk to you guys for days and have no problem. I just so. want to come hang out and like be a sponge around you now, for a while. He'll be at the next training, I guarantee. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're always <laughs> awesome. Thank, Thank you. you for your time. Hey, Sincerely thanks for having appreciate me, you. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast, brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com, and click on the resources link. 